Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this week we will be discussing episode 18 of season 4 of Supergirl, titled Crime and Punishment, which is taken from the title of a book. Yes. So in keeping with the theme of this season of Supergirl, the title Crime and Punishment comes from a Russian novel. Hmm. The book was written by an author named Dostoevsky when he was desperate for money, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And the theme of the book actually centers around a protagonist who has fallen on hard times and is looking for an easy way to reverse his fortune. And he decides he's going to murder someone someone and steal their money in order to go off and do good things with that wealth because Mm. he perceives himself as being able to like do better things for society than this woman who's a pawnbroker, which basically means she just makes money off of poor people. Mm -hmm. And the themes of the book are meant to serve as a warning to readers against political radicalization, something else that's been (laughs) relevant throughout this whole season of Supergirl. (laughs) But specifically, some ideologies of the day that included nihilism, which is the rejection of morality, essentially, Mm -hmm. or moral principles, and also on kind of the left extreme, utilitarianism, which was a doctrine that any action should be considered morally justifiable if it's useful or if it benefits the majority of society. Mm -hmm. And as we saw in a couple of the storylines in this episode, that's not always true. And that's also kind of the point of the novel. So what happens to this guy, he carries through his scheme to murder this woman. However, the situation doesn't go as planned. He ends up committing collateral damage because another person walks in as he's in the middle of chopping this woman up with an axe. And so he ends up killing a bonus person. (laughs) And then he's so stressed out and panicked that he doesn't even actually steal all that much of value in order order to increase his own wealth and better his situation. So over the course of the novel, he just becomes increasingly guilty, paranoid, and disgusted with himself and his own internal moral justifications for why he did these terrible things start to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So they really wanted us to get that vibe a little bit from this episode. First of all, it conveniently mostly took place in a prison, hammering in, pun intended, because of the Russian hammer and the sickle. the idea of crime and being punished for your perceived crimes. Mm -hmm. But also we had several characters dealing with these kind of moral conflicts and feeling like their internal moral compasses have been shaken a bit. You specifically see Kara kind of initially not question her impulse to help people and be a hero. But then after she has the conflict with the reporter in the jail, she's kind of like, hmm, maybe I do need to stay out of the public eye a little bit mm-hmm. because I might harm other people inadvertently with what I'm doing. Yeah, because Kara is typically very, I'm going to will my way through and make a positive impact. So the idea that she would not be Supergirl is like against how she would typically operate. Yep. And then similarly, while they're in the prison, you also see Lena going through a similar kind of conflict because you have Lex deliberately plant for her that picture of Adam 
to remind her of the fact that she made all these choices to keep experimenting with the Harunel and she ended up killing him. And she'd been justifying all of that by saying it would be for the greater good. But also now she's aware of the fact that she was basically being kind of manipulated into believing all of those things because Eve was encouraging her. And then it all came back to Lex kind of pulling the strings. So she's in a very not good place of kind of questioning whether she's been doing anything right or why she's done it. And then we also had Colonel Haley in this episode Mm -hmm. and her storyline kind of taking a turn where she reaches the point where she feels like she can no longer justify the morality of her actions and going along with the ideology that she thought she supported all of these years in serving the government. And then in kind of a counter example, we have Brainy as the fourth person who's kind of dealing with a moral conflict in this episode because he's having this kind of internal moral debate over whether or not he should delete the registry of aliens who signed up under the Amnesty Act. Mm -hmm. Something you were anticipating possibly bringing trouble to our characters. Yes, and they tricked us by having that (laughs) piece from the teaser be Nia's dream. Mm. But will it become reality next week? We just don't know. But the interesting thing there is that Brainy is questioning kind of what he should do or what he shouldn't do, but he ultimately comes down on the decision of, yes, I have to do it, whether or not the consequences are harmful because it's the right thing to do, which Mm. is actually kind of the opposite of the problem in crime and punishment. Like, he has a very clear set of moral principles, and he ultimately doesn't question them. He's like, no, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And one of the other themes of this episode that we see across the characters is manipulation, like psychological manipulation and its relationship with the truth. We see this back and forth pop up in the scene at the beginning of the episode with Cara, Lena, and Alex. Cara is kind of talking about how shouldn't the public care more about facts, the truth? And Lena says not when Lex has anything to do with it. She says, he's an expert at perception, consummate gaslighter. He can make you doubt things that you know are true. He's very definitely good at it. Yes. So she brings up this concept of gaslighting, which is a term taken from a 1938 play by Patrick Hamilton. And in the play, a man kills a woman who lives in the apartment above his, and every night he searches the empty apartment for jewels. But when he turns on the light, the gas light in that apartment, in his own apartment that he shares with his wife, the lights there dim. So when his wife brings this up, he tries to convince her that she's imagining it. And when she brings up hearing footsteps in the apartment that's supposed to be empty because the woman died. He says that she's hearing things. So basically, he tries to convince her that like she's going insane in order to get away with this lie. And so this term gaslighting came from that. And it's like a psychological tool used for controlling somebody, either to get away with something like this guy in this play, or like other sorts of control, like making someone think that you're the only person who loves them. Making people People believe that your inauguration was well attended when no one was really there. (laughs) Which we'll talk about in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Just to throw a practical example out there. (laughs) Um, But I appreciated that they had Lena talk about Lex being a gaslighter because gaslighting is a tool that narcissists typically use in emotionally abusing somebody. And we talked before about how Lex is a sociopath in the House of L episode of the podcast and also 
sociopaths and psychopaths are also qualified as narcissists. So it was a nice tie-in. And it's always neat to see a sociopath or a narcissist or a psychopath portrayed the way like they actually are in real life in terms of like actually having a disorder as opposed to like somebody being called a narcissist because they have a big ego and none of the other symptoms. The term sociopath and psychopath are thrown around in portrayals when it doesn't really apply. So it was nice to have this kind of continuity in terms of how people really act. And so gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation that seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. I think this definition is key because we have like a targeted individual and obviously how Lex has gaslit Lena in the past. But then we also have the targeted group of like National City. And at this point, National City is being gaslit by Lex and Lockwood. Kara mentions being like surprised that one lie about her has like ruined her life as Supergirl. And Alex says, no, not one lie. It's lots of lies. And Ben Lockwood has been telling whoppers for months. He's just creating division, which uh, that phrase sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Sure does. They've been kind of playing on this all season, but it's meant to reflect the kind of current political situation in the United States. (laughs) It's quite comparable to Trump who is also a narcissist. (laughs) So some examples of uh, Trump gaslighting the nation are how he lies about everything, even his own words that he has said in the past, even when he's directly confronted with the truth, um, he denies it. And there's this quote in reference to the press. He says, just remember what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening, which is very Orwellian of him which is a reference to the George Orwell novel, 1984, which you may know the term Big Brother from, and that was sort of an extreme dystopian society. Yeah, that book was about a future... 1984, the future. (laughs) A dystopia where the governments could control and manipulate everything that people understood about the world outside of their daily lives Mm -hmm. and would often tell them contradictory things and manipulate them into certain emotional states in order to keep them kind of subservient and in line with what policies the government wanted to carry out. They literally would rewrite history. Yep. (laughs) So that ties in nicely with the gaslighting. And then just obviously this big concept that Trump is enamored with of fake news. Well, anything that's mean to him is fake. Yeah. Much like little children who never do anything wrong ever (laughs) in their lives. But so the result is that people lose track of what is real and what isn't. Yes. Which is quite a problem. And that has been the goal of many of these governments in real life. And it's something that specifically the Russian government excels at and that they have been using to interfere with elections and political processes in democratic countries. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Russia, as we all know, Lex has been gaslighting Kosninkar as well and also employing other types of manipulation. It's interesting because we find out in this episode that just like he gave Kazanin Kara Red Daughter reading materials, he got young Lena to read a list of authors <laughs> we see in the journal that's like, here are all Lena's faults and how I can prey upon her, that he says she needs to start reading. And then there are a couple things listed and we can make out that it says Chaucer and Shakespeare. The Shakespeare one in particular is interesting because in the All About Eve 
episode in Lex's letter to Lena that was like, you betrayed me first. He quotes the Merchant of Venice, which is Shakespeare. He says, the villainy you teach me, I will execute and it shall go hard, but I will be better the instruction, which is basically saying the reason I'm betraying you now is because you betrayed me first and you taught me how to do it, which is ridiculous. But (laughs) it's just interesting that he was the one to have Lena read that, presumably, and then later on is using that sort of seed that he planted to influence her and affect her in the present day. We also see in his his handy notebook on Lena that he says that Lena is clouded easily by emotions, which is accurate. A fair observation <laughs> that we've made. Which is funny because I think I think Katie said in an interview at some point that she thinks of Lena as being something of a Gryffindor, Mm -hmm. which A, I love because of the idea of Sirius Black being (laughs) the Gryffindor and his family full of Slytherins who got like disowned and then rebelled against them all. Mm. But also it was really funny just because I feel like Lex's notes validated that idea a little bit, both with the comment about her using her emotions as kind of like her guide for making decisions. And also there was specifically a note about how like she doesn't think strategically a lot of the time Mm. when she makes decisions about how or why to do stuff. This is why (laughs) Lena and Kara are friends. Exactly. (laughs) But Lex sees this tendency in Lena as like an opportunity, it seems. And a weakness, just like how Voldemort always saw it as a weakness Mm. in Harry Potter and others. Yes. Well, we've also talked about how it can be legitimately a weakness with Lena because she makes bad decisions when she's overly emotional. But Lex apparently tries to make her emotional on purpose. Lena says, this is how he operates. I get flooded with emotion and he wins, which was interesting. It was. And he actually kind of admitted to this strategy when they confronted each other several episodes ago. And Lena kind of complained that he always criticizes her or was trying to take credit for the successful things that she's done. And he was like, but this is how it works. I have to do something to motivate you to get into an emotional place where you want to be stubborn and push back. Hmm. And Lena just hasn't realized quite how far it goes. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And clearly Lena was a practice run. Yeah. And it's funny, too, we talked about this before we started recording, that Lex wasn't exaggerating when he said he was pretty good with uh, behavioral conditioning, because we noticed that his recognition of the things that motivate Lena and his ways of manipulating her using them had such a lasting impact that she actually does the same thing when other people give her positive feedback or show emotional interest or act like they care. Yeah. And she doesn't even realize that all of those things are connected. Or maybe she does, but not like <laughs> yeah. that it was very purposefully set up in her brain. Yeah. She's talked about it before to Lillian in terms of like, Rhea gave me a tiny bit of like approval and... I fell right into her hands because of you, she says, to Lillian. But now it's interesting to see how much of a hand Lex has played in Lena's psychology. Yeah. Actually, since you brought up Lillian, it reminded me of the other little thing that Lex did to intentionally mess with Lena when she's investigating the prison, which is when she's checking through the chess pieces to see if he left any notes behind for her. Hmm. And she finds the picture of Adam with the date on the back that she explains is a reference to the death of the Romanov family, also Russian. <laughs> and the reason I say that Lillian prompted me for that is that Lena explains that Lex always 
always referred to her as like the lost princess Anastasia. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense in the sense of like Lena was brought into the family as like this mysterious extra Luther that Lex never knew existed <laughs> and also just was seen by Lillian as an imposter. And this connects to the real story related to Anastasia because the whole royal family was murdered. They all died. But for years after the fact, there was a conspiracy that the daughter Anastasia had somehow survived this mass shooting. And you had multiple women surface over a period of decades claiming they were her. And so in the context of Lex mentioning that, like, he immediately swabbed Lena's cheek to prove that she was related to him. And then the prop master posted some pictures with some close-ups of things that Lex had written. And on one of the pages, he specifically mentioned memories of being with his father before Lena came into the picture and having the understanding that he was the heir to the Luther name and the Luther fortune and everything that entailed. And so he might very well in that sense then see her as kind kind of like interfering with things that might rightfully be his if he's not careful. <laughs> so Lex obviously tried to send Lena a message with that date that connected to the Romanovs. Oh yeah, because it was also a checkmate pattern that Lena recognized that enabled her to unlock the thing and find all the disturbing journals underneath. Yes, <laughs> so he could torment her some more. Um, but on the other side of that paper was the photo of Adam, who Lena had killed earlier this season in the pursuit of this healing slash superpower. Save humanity. (laughs) Yes, serum. All in one. (laughs) So that was the crime. (laughs) Perhaps eventually we'll see some form of punishment consequence. Yes. Maybe? I'm hoping. I I would assume so, at least with the... um, I'm, I'm actually kind of reassured that they brought this up right after... Uh, Mm. the last episode because I was concerned about Lena and consequences because she seems to have been learning but in a sort of a less explicit way in the narrative than the original like offense. Well yeah and it also kind of goes back to the point that imprisoned reporter Steve made to Kara about you think you're above the law Mm -hmm. and you don't deal with the consequences of your impacts on other people so yeah maybe (laughs) But related to this idea of consequences, and then as you said, Lena demonstrating that she's attempting to learn (laughs) or modifying her behavior to avoid mistakes that she feels personally are very costly. We've also seen that she has at least sort of learned something from the kryptonite debacle, Mm -hmm. even if she won't outright apologize for it. She is attempting through her actions to apologize because we've now seen her create multiple defensive technologies to protect Supergirl from it. And she always makes a point to have them on hand when they're working together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's at least a demonstration of the fact that she recognizes maybe that Kara had a point. (laughs) The thing is, for me, that the... I know, that's not satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the messaging isn't entirely clear because the initial, like, situation is very blatant, like, Melina saying, no, I don't need to consider this. (laughs) And then... Like, I don't need to take steps to include other people in this process. And then later on, the fact that she, like, on the down low, creates something to protect Supergirl with the kryptonite kind of reinforces 
says subtly that she was right in the first place in the sense that like she didn't actually do anything wrong like she was always going to get around to it like <laughs> you know <laughs> and that she doesn't need other people in on the process because she'll learn the lesson eventually and people won't get hurt i mean that's a way to read it <laughs> um, <laughs> no i agree with you that i don't think the two-way dialogue has been made explicitly clear for an audience that isn't keyed into the psychology of emotionally abused children. Mm -hmm. But from that perspective, the way she's gone about like apologizing without apologizing and conceding that Kara maybe had a point is very in keeping with the way that she was raised to be very afraid to admit that she did things wrong mm -hmm. or that she would be punished severely, either emotionally or physically or both for getting caught doing something wrong. Yes. And that's a large part of what her defensiveness is coming from. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that same situation for me where all the characters are in character. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But it's not clear to the, like, the audience isn't being sufficiently keyed into the fact that, like, both characters maybe have points and or are in the wrong. Yes. So I'm still hoping for not just the Adam part of it to be like a dramatic revelation, but sort of the other stuff in conjunction with it. Mm. The more questionable things that Lena has done across the season and last season too. But I have less hope that that'll come up. Hey, they managed to bring back several things from season one that we weren't sure yeah. would come back in this episode. So they did. Never say never. We had a reference to Bizarro and we saw Lex creepily spying. <laughs> on the other base of the DEO where presumably Bizarro is. Yeah. I wonder if he has other moles at the DEO. Interesting. However, I did enjoy the Lena and Supergirl sort of friendship interactions we had in this episode and them supporting each other. I also like the drama, but I like both sides of the coin. Well, it was kind of like a fun flip on how Kara has to pretend to not be Supergirl to Alex, where she has to do the reverse here. <laughs> like, she desperately That's wants great. to be there for Lena as a friend, but, like, can't. Mm. Really? It is interesting in the sense that, like, both of the situations are forcing Kara as Supergirl to foster relationships as Supergirl. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really did like kind of the rapport that they had in this episode. It seemed like Lena was fully over whatever lingering you hurt my feelings we're still in there <laughs> yes because of the power of empathy always helpful that thing that lex criticizes her for yes lena seems to empathize with Kara because she has felt this exact way before she says okay i know better than anyone what it's like to be falsely accused of a crime you didn't commit okay it's not fun because in season two lena was framed for releasing lillian from prison and Kara. Also, from Lena's point of view, enlisting the help of Supergirl helped Lena clear her name. And now Lena is doing the same for her, which was a nice loop. It's also neat because Kara fought a Metallo in that episode as well. And you had pointed out that Kara has flown Lena away after a Metallo exploded before, which was in that episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so lots of parallels here. The other interesting parallel visually, too, was Kara punching the hole through the wall, which reminded me of when we saw Cosney and Kara punching the bedrock ha. earlier this season. Yes. And we still don't know why she was doing that. <laughs> yeah, that was never thinking thinking back to that. <laughs> I expect we'll find out eventually. Mm. Uh so we'll see. Something else to look forward to. You also liked another visual that we saw. Yeah, I really liked the way that they framed 
the scene of Lena consenting to be locked in Lex's prison cell Mm. and just kind of the symbolism associated with that after Lena saying like, yeah, I get what it feels like to be accused of something you didn't do and constantly having always felt this like weight of attachment to all the crimes her family has committed. And then here she is like accepting that this is the best thing for her own safety, but also for dealing with the crisis at hand for everyone else, Mm. even though she's definitely not emotionally okay. And also just the visual of her consenting to let Supergirl physically weld her in when you (laughs) consider like the Lex and Superman animosity. The level of trust in that was really nice and a nice contrast. It was also neat because in that episode in season two, when Lena was framed, she spent some time in jail. (laughs) So there's another... uh... And a Metallo came after her there. (laughs) Yes. So it's quite the parallel episode. Yes. But yeah, Lena trusting Supergirl to do that was nice. And the mutual support that they had for each other throughout the episode was nice. The other thing that was very nice continuity-wise with the way you saw Lena and Supergirl working together in this episode was you had Alex be a little bit snide in the previous episode and suggest that Lena wouldn't want to work with Supergirl and that maybe she would be the better person to make that approach. And Kara did not work with her sister at all in this one. Hmm. And she and Lena did okay. Yeah, but it was interesting when Supergirl was sort of venting to Lena about being falsely accused that when Lena said, you know, it's not fun, Supergirl said, no, it's not, but neither is reading through your murderous brother's journals and reliving traumatic memories, which on one hand is like a nice recognition that Lena is also going through something difficult. Mm. But on the other hand, like her tone was kind of that of someone who felt guilty for maybe feeling like she made the situation about herself, Mm. which is interesting. But you and I have talked about how Kara recognized in season two that she maybe took up too much like emotional space in her relationship with Alex. And that was right at the time when Lena came on the scene. Mm. And it's interesting because their relationship has been sort of very like Lena heavy in terms of Kara funneling her energy into helping Lena with her problems and kind of not revealing much about herself and her own emotional state unless it's kind of pulled out of her like in season three and triggers. Yeah. Although in fairness, Kara's kind of like that about her emotional state with everyone. And mm-hmm. it's just that Alex doesn't put up with it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. As we saw also in triggers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so it's interesting to see Kara. But yeah, that's a good point that maybe she overcorrected a little too yeah. far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. I think particularly with Lena, she does that sometimes. But that takes us to Kara's journey this episode. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we see various characters dealing with moral dilemmas. And for Kara, she has this initial conviction of like, if the government wants to stop me from helping people, let them try and sort of resisting the possibility of like going underground or not stepping in because it's a bad time. Which is very Kara of her. <laughs> yep. I said to you, I would have loved to see that scene where she initially leaves to go rescue the guy in the car crash with an Alex who remembered that Kara <laughs> and Supergirl are the same person just to see her try to contain herself <laughs> in front of Lena. Yes. And be like, oh, Kara, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it was interesting to see Kara's attitude at the beginning of the episode versus her kind of 
shaken faith in her own ideals later because Mm. now that I think about it, we had issues with kind of overconfidence from multiple characters in terms of being really sure that the thing that they were doing was the right thing or the strategy they were using was the right strategy and then maybe realizing halfway through the episode that they had wandered into a trap of some sort. Yeah. So you kind of saw... Karg dealing with this, but you also had Alex kind of get stuck in the middle of the episode a bit Mm -hmm. on what to do about Haley. You had Brainy with his dilemma. So we saw several characters kind of dealing with this initial, I know that what I'm doing is right. And then they're confronted by a roadblock and they're like, maybe I need to reconsider that. Yeah, of course. So that was interesting. But also in terms of Kara's, if the government wants to stop me, let them try. And this is a little bit of a reiteration of what she said to President Baker back before the crossover at the end of like the first part of the season with, if you don't want a war with me, don't start one. Mm -hmm. This episode was a great demonstration of Kara definitely not exaggerating (laughs) about the fact that she could do it. Mm. (laughs) Because you have that scene where she's got to like run the gauntlet of prisoners intending to attack her. And it just made me laugh so much because she just looked at it was probably the most like alien superiority that I have seen from her in a long time (laughs) in the show. Yeah. Because she just looked at this like horde of dozens of angry men like a minor inconvenience and was like, really, you're going to waste my time. I don't need this aggravation right now. And just kind of casually walks down the hall dispensing of them mm. and they don't even seem to notice that like maybe they should stop yeah <laughs> they're gonna I don't fail know what, what they were thinking <laughs> i don't either but that whole scene was really entertaining yeah especially her cool slide on the floor and shout out to whoever's managing the twitter for the caption they gave that because it was perfect yes <laughs> yeah but the situation with Kara being like overconfident is interesting because she has served in the season as kind of a power fantasy in terms of what she can do mm. and like she can go walk into the oval office and tell the president that what he's doing is wrong and like she can fight the government don't we all wish we could <laughs> so it's just interesting to see this dichotomy of like a power fantasy and then also being like concerned about the fact that she has power that other people do not have. And in a way that I don't think she considers necessarily in the same way she considers her physical powers. Mm. Like obviously because she works in media, she's aware of her kind of social power, but I don't think she thinks about how it is used in quite the same way all of the time. Yeah. A point that gets brought up to her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The reporter Steve confronts Supergirl about this fact. And he also says, everything you touch, you ruin, which is a bit dramatic, which is perfect (laughs) in a character sense in terms of like presenting somebody with a fear that would really affect them. Like with Kara, we see that she has like issues of feeling responsible for everything, the weight of the world on her shoulders situation. So then if you have that sense combined with the fear that you'll ruin everything, you can become kind of paralyzed. And it's interesting to see this fear come up again because we saw it back in season one with Red Kryptonite. Mm -hmm. And you know she was thinking about that. Yeah, it is interesting that we have both the red kryptonite and the black kryptonite used in the storyline to like attack one of the things that she cares about the most, which is like her connection to the people. Back in season one, she gave that whole speech about how everyone in the city is a light to her. And then every time she helps them, that light becomes a part of her. So she feels very strongly about 
being able to not only help people, but have that connection with them through her help for them. And it was interesting to see this happen also right after All About Eve, when we saw Kara talk down Bitsy, Mm. Eve's cousin, and like get through to her if we're talking about like trying to psychologically manipulate somebody (laughs) and the spectrum of like being genuine to being like more manipulative in the negative sense but supergirl in all about eve was able to connect to bitsy and now we see in multiple cases in this episode that she is not getting through to anybody as supergirl sad (laughs) which is interesting because i was wondering if we would have kara lean more into Cara Danvers this season and less so in Supergirl and maybe take some sort of break from it. I wasn't sure what it would look like or how they would end up doing it, but the best way to get Cara to dial down her Supergirl time is to make her think that she's hurting instead of helping, which is convenient, her being Cara Danvers, more so for these last few episodes to advance the reporting themes of the season, which is always exciting. So for Cara and her journey to embracing reporting more, she starts off the episode, as I said, sort of questioning why people don't care about the truth and, you know, wondering what the truth is and trying to get to the bottom of it, like who this person is that is impersonating her. And this concept of truth we also see come up with the reporter character, Steve. He says, I exposed the truth and I paid for it with my freedom because unlike you, I am not above the law. Although it's interesting because he obviously doesn't think that the law was right to imprison him for exposing the truth. Which he exposed that the government was illegally using drones for some kind of mysterious purpose. Mm. And in the course of that conversation, he raises this point to Kara that as Supergirl, she doesn't necessarily face consequences for her actions. And actually, given that she's an alien, it's an interesting question of whether or not she can because Hmm. the law doesn't apply to her in the first place. So (laughs) She doesn't have the positive effects of the law or the negative. (laughs) Exactly. So she's in a weird gray area to begin with. But it does kind of cause her to recognize in a way that season two didn't and it was very forced that sometimes when she's trying to positively affect a situation it also will have like a ripple effect of negative consequences for maybe other people who are also in that same location at that moment in time. Hmm. But the fact that Cara Danvers is able to get through to this reporter character as opposed to Supergirl is what encourages her to find other ways to get to the truth through her reporter persona and kind of another way for her to help people than as Supergirl. And it's interesting because we also saw this concept come up with Jean earlier this season Hmm. and throughout the season in terms of being able to help, but in your own way, in a different way other than being out on the streets and fighting crime. We also had a call back to the Aliens of National City column that Kara has been writing this season, which is neat. We may see that come up in other ways for the rest of the season, perhaps related to the plot of the next episode. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. But this has been really nice in terms of the buildup of importance of journalism, and we've been kind of remarking upon how we want to see more of it, but this turn in the plot is encouraging, so we may see it really condensed in these last few episodes. And we also got that nice exchange between Kara and 
Steve. There's nothing more powerful in the pursuit of justice than the power of the press. What do they say? The pen is mightier than the sword. Maybe even mightier than a cape. Which was a really cute scene, but I had said to you, and we've discussed this also a little bit before we started doing notes, that scene at the end made me question whether or not reporter Steve is also a part of Lex's larger scheme. Hmm. A, because he conveniently decided to go and back up the files on the computer as the Metallo bomb was about to explode, (laughs) which there's not a lot of time. So how do you just have that? (laughs) And B, I went and looked through kind of the conversation that he had there at the end, because when I finished watching it, I was like, I feel like he was saying things that echoed stuff Kara said to him, not as Kara. And he actually does deliberately use the phrase bringing him to justice in that scene at the very end. And it's Supergirl who tries to appeal to him with that logic earlier in the episode, not Kara. Mm. And because Kara said both things, it doesn't necessarily register to her that it's not something she said. Like, <laughs> Well, the case could also be made that on some level, it got through to him in terms of like, well, yeah, exactly. This is actually a good thing. <laughs> so we at the moment, we're not sure if he knows who she is or if he just is genuinely being helpful. So that'll be fun to see unfold. Yep. And then speaking of things that have been fun to see unfold, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know how else to phrase it. We had more of Otis Graves in this episode and he's just intriguing. <laughs> Yeah. In his own way, because he's like... Such a strange character. He's just kind of like the dumb flunky, but on the other hand, he does this thing that you sometimes see as a trope with these characters yeah. where he'll say something suddenly really profound. <laughs> and then Kara's like, huh. And you as the audience are also like, huh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's also funny in terms of like, he did something surprisingly kind in the House of L episode oh, yeah. by saving the little boy, Mikael. Yeah. Well, and if we find out out that they keep intentionally exploding him every time he fails. No wonder he has such an issue with like dying. That was pretty twisted. I appreciated that fact. But he also kind of taking over for Manchester in terms of making these little like references to other kinds of media that are relevant. He had a few kind of pop culture-y and historic political references in this episode where when he comes on the loudspeaker system in the jail, that was a reference to a Robin Williams movie called Good Morning Vietnam, which interestingly, the major plot of that movie is about American soldiers getting sold out by a spy. So that's kind of a nice little sneaky tie-in. And it was during the Cold War. We had another reference to The Shining. So somebody who works on this show was clearly traumatized (laughs) by either the book or the film. Because this is at least the third or fourth time that it's come up. In this episode, we had the Here's Johnny when Otis burst through the wall and stuck his head out like in the film. And in House of L, Lex, during his trial for his crimes in a flashback, was writing in Kryptonian or Kryptonese. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, which is a reference to The Shining in which the Jack character, instead of writing his novel, types all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over and over again. Oh, so in a similarly obsessive manner. Yes. And we had the fun connection in season three when Cora mentioned how Alex quote unquote made her watch (laughs) The Shining. When they were in high school. Yes. Alex is like, it was your idea. (laughs) And Kara was apparently a little traumatized. Yeah. 
So, uh, what's your damage, The Shining? <laughs> what have you done to someone who works for the show? <laughs> Maybe Kara's story was their story. Maybe they've been setting us up for Lex all along. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Profound. And then the other kind of fun, almost cheeky little comment that Otis makes is when he sees Supergirl, he calls her Lee Harvey Supergirl, <laughs> which was funny because it doesn't quite sound like it should fit together, but it works. <laughs> But it's a reference to Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated the president, John F. Kennedy, in the 1960s. And so, again, tying back to, like, this Cold War era, lots of political upheaval. And it also is doubly fun because Oswald had actually attempted to defect and join the Soviet Union and give up his citizenship in the 1950s and was denied. Mm. Um, and then in an interesting kind of tie back to Lex in the conversation about narcissism, Lee Harvey Oswald was similarly convinced that he deserved to be this great and important person. And that's why he kept trying to start these like half-baked political movements and then tried several times unsuccessfully to assassinate random different political figures so that his name would be in the newspapers. Mm. And that's ultimately what led him to go after the president as well. So also interesting, actually, and then the other reason that it's kind of a sly little dig at Kara is that he's referencing the fact that as far as the world knows, Supergirl just killed a whole bunch of people in the president's office. Yeah. So nicely done. <laughs> Surprising from Otis, but and speaking of characters who have been known to surprise us, <laughs> Kelly in the previous episode actually believed that Supergirl was not the one who attacked all the people in the White House, which was a surprise. But we also find out that in this episode, she still is not willing to break any of the rules in order to defend who she believes is an innocent woman. And so we see Alex in this episode try to persuade her to break some of those said rules. And she goes to Kelly Olson, resident therapist now, for advice on how to psychologically manipulate Haley into thinking what she wants her to think. Which I pointed out was a really funny, like, other side of the coin of what Lex has been doing. Yeah. <laughs> the range of psychological manipulations in this episode is interesting. By people named Alex who think they're doing things that are right. <laughs> <laughs> True. But also with the other characters. Well, yes. <laughs> the scene with Alex and Kelly was nice because Kelly said, I can make a one-time exception for a friend, which is great because we've been talking about how Kelly can't, like, treat her friends and family, so she can't treat the Supergirl characters. Well, she shouldn't, ethically. Yes. And the show <laughs> seemed to recognize that here, which I appreciate. Well, the other kind of cool thing about it is that Kelly gave Alex advice in sort of the same way that James gave Lena advice that time that she asked about what to do with Sam in that she gave like a personal example mm. and said, so this is what worked in this situation. Maybe it's relevant to what you do. <laughs> yeah. She says to her, you need to stop getting angry and get smart, which is great advice for Alex <laughs> in the sense that we've seen a couple times this season her anger get in the way of her being, you know, smart. <laughs> like in the fifth episode of the season when Haley insulted Jean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's like, um, excuse me, my father. <laughs> yeah. The best man to ever exist on Earth or anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also with Haley when she confronted her in episode 10 about torturing the Morai. She was very uh, 
direct. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tactful way of putting it. (laughs) Tact. Well, and it's interesting to say because we had that list where Lex had all of like Lena's failings that involved being overly emotional. And that has been Alex's one Achilles heel so far this season is that sometimes in her desire to protect or defend people close to her or causes close to her, she doesn't stop and think much like Kara about kind of maybe like the long term ripple effects of that. Yeah, which ties into the situation with Kara. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not over that. (laughs) And how in forgetting Supergirl, she has been able to be more focused and have less sort of emotional reactions to situations and be less stressed. So yeah. (laughs) Well, and as I pointed out, if Alex hadn't done that mind wipe, they made it pretty clear in this episode that she would have been in a lot of trouble (laughs) like long ago because when Alex attempts to take Kelly's advice and tries to approach Haley with like a reframing of the situation, Haley calls her out on it and makes it very clear that she's more aware of things Alex has been doing than she's let on, meaning Alex would have definitely given herself away (laughs) at some point had she not gone through with the mind wipe. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing. It sure is. But yeah, so the conflict we had with Alex and Haley in this episode, I've been waiting for because I think I said at least one or two podcasts ago that we know it wasn't done yet. So it finally took its big turn in this episode. And it was really interesting in kind of the emotions that came up and the interactions between the two characters related to this attempted manipulation. And also with Alex, much like Kara, kind of pushing her luck in the Hmm. circumstance. Yeah. Kelly gives Alex the advice of sort of appealing to Haley's values and like trying to figure out what she cares about and appealing to that specifically. And it's interesting because we saw the same situation in season three. Carr and Jean were trying to figure out how to defeat Rain. And they came to the revelation with the help of Marin that they had to appeal to her moral code. Although it's interesting because then we see Alex as opposed to sort of trying to get Haley to see that what she's saying is actually a part of her moral code. She argues against Haley's values, you know, knowing that Haley's all about orders and following them and going by the book. She says, but some orders are immoral and following them does not make you a good soldier. It makes you complicit. Yeah, that's the fastest way to get some- someone to be defensive. (laughs) Yeah. And then it also doesn't help that she doesn't have her own little notebook on Haley the way that Lex does on Lena. That's true. She kind of misunderstands Haley's reasoning for her actions. She says, I know it's risky to defy orders, but you have much more to consider than just yourself here. Thinking that Haley's like afraid or that she's thinking about the consequences for herself and her personal life and Mm -hmm. her fate. (laughs) But Haley explains. She's like, joke's on you. (laughs) Haley says later on in the episode, I prided myself on my loyalty to this country. What I wanted didn't matter. It was about serving the greater good. So yeah, it's not that she's like afraid. It's that she thinks following orders is the right thing to do. Well, and also she mentions the idea of serving a greater good and that she's very loyal to the ideals of the country, which actually when you join the military, the oath that you take is to the Constitution of the United States. It is not to a person. It is 
to the ideals of the country. Mm. So she's not in this out of selfish reasons, which is part of why Alex's attempt to appeal to her self-interest in a way didn't work. Yeah. It actually came across as like a big insult. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She specifically feels like by following orders as opposed to following like her own personal feelings about what's right and wrong that she is putting her country before herself. Mm. Which is not how Alex read her. (laughs) No. Well, the other thing that's kind of funny about the way Alex misunderstands this is that Haley, someone who definitely approaches things by the book, and that's been very obvious since she first came in. (laughs) And the reason I find it amusing is that Alex historically also tends to play by the rules Mm -hmm. until she reaches the point where she feels like a system of rules has failed her. And then she's like, well, this doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so we're done with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and you see this even all the way back into flashbacks of her as a kid, you know, thinking she needs to follow social conventions or when in Midvale, they have the incident where they think they figured out what happened to Kenny. Her first instinct is to go to the police, not even considering <laughs> all the reasons that might be a bad idea. And again, you know, when she's in med school and then when she's working with Jean until Kara joins the DEO, Alex was very much a by the book kind of officer and then <laughs> much to Jean's frustration. <laughs> and then obviously in this season, it was interesting because when Kara mm. was hit with the kryptonite that was dispersed across the earth, yeah, Alex kind of emotionally reacted to that and like fell back on, you know, doing things by the book and following orders and the chain of command. And Kara's like, what are you doing? This isn't how we operate. Because <laughs> she knows that Alex, while she will stick to that once she thinks that the system isn't working for her, will break out of it. And Kara's used to her doing that. And that's interesting in terms of Alex stressing out about Kara and then not following her own beliefs and how she operates. Mm-hmm. And the situation with Alex trying to change Haley's mind is also kind of a train wreck in that (laughs) Haley just notices that Alex is trying to manipulate her, like as opposed to just trying to connect. Well, it's not subtle at (laughs) all. Um, So like something feels like a manipulation when you don't think the person is really connecting with you and being genuine with you. And you can tell that they're trying to play upon things that they know about you. Like, it can be insulting. (laughs) Haley says, In all my months here, I revealed to you exactly one piece of personal information. One piece, and now you want to use that as leverage against me. So that was... Yeah, right? Like, she mentioned offhandedly that she has a kid months ago. Alex has never brought it up since then. (laughs) And now she's like, this is the perfect opportunity. (laughs) Is it, though, Alex? Have you ever disclosed anything personal about your desire to be a parent while also working in this job and, like, made a personal connection here? No, you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets her butt handed to her like she deserves in that Mm. moment and Haley compares her to Lockwood which is pretty bad (laughs) yeah I mean she she makes it clear that she dislikes him a whole lot more than she's angry at Alex but like she's still not pleased Uh because Alex ended up on the like wrong end of emotional manipulation (laughs) like just over the line and then obviously Lex and Lockwood are quite further back from the line but Haley's comment about Lockwood was interesting just because Mm. she says that power hungry snake and we've mentioned Haley being sort of 
interested in people's power and how much power they have. And she herself likes having power earlier this season. So that was a nice kind of touch. Mm. But in terms of Alex's attempt to influence Haley, Kelly says when she's giving her advice, you can't change people, but you can appeal to who they are, which is just funny because Haley does end up changing and like for the most part on her own without Alex's attempt affecting her. Mm -hmm. And her reasoning ties nicely back to the themes you discussed that appear in Crime and Punishment, in the concept of like utilitarianism, in that the only thing that really matters is the greatest good. Yeah. Kelly says, it was about serving the greater good. Now I wonder about the few, which is an interesting turn on that phrase. Yes. And also it relates to the whole reason that the American political system has checked and balances because that was something that the creators of the country were very concerned about, this concept of the tyranny of the majority, Mm. that when you have whatever's in the best interest of the large group of people being served all the time, you end up oppressing people who maybe don't share that view, but who also deserve to be recognized or unharmed. Mm. Yeah. And she comes to this conclusion through thinking about how this political situation and, you know, martial law will affect her kid. Yeah. And I appreciate kind of the subtle way that they dealt with some of the layers of Colonel Haley and who she is in that scene. It was very quick and very subtle, but you had a really nice development of kind of the intersectional issues that Haley's going through as a black woman and a black parent Mm. because she mentions her daughter has a panic attack. She's scared of the martial law. She's scared of the curfew and she's upset that her teachers disappeared and been maybe taken away, maybe is hiding. We don't know. But these are actually all different consequences that have been imposed specifically on minorities and people of color in the United States throughout different periods of history. So that was very interesting in the way that you saw that powerfully affected her in her response and in her conversation with Alex. And there's also a nice nod to reality because these are conversations that a lot of families are having nowadays, particularly related to gun violence and different kinds of things that affect little kids in schools or they hear something on the news and they're like, is this going to be me? Mm -hmm. Um, So that can be an extremely powerful motivating factor in terms of parents maybe reevaluating what they're doing and why. Yeah, you know, that's why I've appreciated the presence of children in this season, kind of keeping an eye on how these things are affecting them and emphasizing how they are a reason that we as a people should strive to be better. Like we also see how it's affecting Kara, how children see her, the man at the beginning of the episode who Kara saved from being trapped inside a car that was on fire. He mentioned his daughter and said, you you were her hero and you crushed her. And that really affected Kara. And then obviously we see with Haley that how everything is affecting her kid is what motivates her to change. Other characters we should mention before we round out this episode include the Olsons, who I keep wanting to call the Olsen twins, and I have to stop myself (laughs) because they're not. Which one's which? (laughs) (laughs) It's right. (laughs) Good question. James is clearly (laughs) Mary-Kate. Make the meme. (laughs) But anyway, this episode has affirmed that I love both James and Kelly Olsen, and they're great. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) 
That's it. That's my only commentary on their purpose in this narrative. Um, no, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> Quite. So we we kicked off James's continuing storyline of uh, dealing with whatever the heck Lena did to him. <laughs> yeah. With him actually in the car getting ready to go to therapy. And his sister is being a good supportive sister and driving him there. <laughs> yes. They had a nice moment where... She said, I'm so proud of you. Which I was like, oh, the Danvers kids say that to each other, too. That's <laughs> so sweet. Yes. Particularly when, you know, the thing that they've done is really hard. And then she also says, and dad would be, too. So it's always nice to have, like, little bits of their family dynamic and seeing how they think about their parents and think about each other. Yeah. Well, and again, it's also a nice kind of subtle addressing of this attitude of toxic masculinity and the stigma against going to therapy. Mm. Like, not only did you have Kelly point out that their dad, who was this big, you know, military veteran who has such a presence in James's mind, would be proud of him for this. You also get a moment of James, A, admitting he was scared and B, crying. So that was really, really nice to see. And again, the show's done a nice job of giving the actors kind of new and more challenging material this season. Mm -hmm. So that was good, too. Yeah. And in terms of sort of positive representation of therapy. <laughs> Something hard to come by. <laughs> <laughs> yes. James's therapist said, you know, sadly, this process takes time. For today, I can give you a starting point to deal with anxiety or any negative feelings that may come up, a calming tool, which is very realistic. You don't walk into a therapist's office and <laughs> walk out fixed. The process does take time, and the point of it is to give you tools. Well, and the other thing that I liked about the way they represented it was that the scene made it clear that James kind of was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit stupid, but I'll do it because you said so. But then later on, you see that the technique that he was taught did have value and it was mm. helpful. And that's definitely one of those uphill battles that many people face when they're reluctant to go to therapy. So that was also really nice. Yeah. And that reluctance is also really connected to the idea that he has that he shouldn't need help. Which I really liked because it was very similar to what Kara said last season when she was really dealing with, as we described it, complicated grief and depression mm -hmm. and saying that she should be above that and she shouldn't need to take time and figure out her feelings yeah. and get help like humans do. Yes. And in relation to how she sees herself as a hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The same way James feels that he has to be and wants to be. Yeah, I liked that they brought that up and it bookended nicely with kind of some of the stuff Kara's been going through since last year. Mm -hmm. And also, even beyond that, the pose that we saw James in and the way it was framed when he was learning this kind of coping exercise looked very similar to how we saw Kara when she was doing her Kryptonian meditation in the second episode in season three yeah. when she was having panic attacks and stuff. Like, James. So that was awesome. I loved that observation. Yeah, her meditation was to give her strength. So it fits. Another insight into James's mentality that we got through this therapy scene was that Catco is something James perceives as a safe space. However, it was, of course, made unsafe after he was shot. So that's sad. <laughs> yeah, that is quite upsetting. And it led us into this really cool way they revealed what we had guessed at the end of the previous episode, mm -hmm. which is that James is indeed developing powers and that they are linked to emotional triggers that spike his 
either panic or anxiety responses. <laughs> so it's both the PTSD and the fact that he has powers. <laughs> now, he even says this is more than PTSD as opposed to, I don't think I have PTSD. Although it was interesting when I was doing research on bilateral stimulation, which is the technique that the therapist teaches James mm -hmm. in order to center himself, I read, because it involves direct sensory stimulation of the nervous system, bilateral stimulation can trigger unexpected responses in people with conditions which involve hypersensitivity to sensory stimuli. So basically... Super senses. <laughs> yes. Things can go awry when there's hypersensitivity to sensory stimuli, which fits perfectly with like super hearing and super sight. We've even compared Carr's super senses to someone having a sensory processing disorder. So it was interesting to see James have a flashback and then try to use this tool of bilateral stimulation. And then like immediately his senses go into overdrive and he starts hearing and seeing things. <laughs> well, <laughs> he starts hearing and seeing things super intensely. <laughs> so I do wonder if maybe somebody did some research on that. Writers do research <laughs> when they write things. What? I know. Who does that? Foolish of me. And then also related to James's new powers, he now appears to have super strength, but he hasn't broken anything outside of that one instance where he was overstimulated, which may be more evidence that his powers aren't something that's always present the way cars are, but rather are something that he calls forth from within him to be able to use. And maybe they're triggered by an emotional response. That would also be interesting to see. Maybe. I'm ready for Turtle Boy. <laughs> Me too. Speaking of emotional responses, and back on our psychological manipulation theme in this episode, Nia manipulates Brainy, like lies to him to get him to figure out what he really wants, what he really thinks is right. And she did it so smoothly too. <laughs> yes, she was an example of like using it effectively and despite there being some deception in there, not not being insulting. <laughs> Yeah, yes, exactly. And it was also nice that they had the symbolism of her talking about following your gut instinct while she's uh, truly living out her best life as Kara's mentee with a donut in her hand. Yeah, she says, intestinal inclinations, not so bad, is it? And then eats a donut, which is great. Yep. And it was also nice to see their dynamic and to get that clarification that Brainy was okay with the interaction that they had where they kissed in the previous episode. He just hasn't wanted to talk about it. Hmm. He's like, I understand that you must be very upset. And he's like, yeah, losing sleep. <laughs> Can't handle it. She's like, I haven't been able to eat because he stopped her from eating. <laughs> As she's eating. Yeah. yeah. But it was really funny just to see the rapport that they have with each other and how they each in their own way kind of joke around and give each other criticism a little bit without being afraid that they'll take it the wrong way. Hmm. Because Brainia, in a completely unsupportive <laughs> statement to Nia, says like, oh, don't worry about the fact that you had this dream that I made the wrong choice because you're not really very good at interpreting your dreams anyhow. <laughs> but related to that, I do wonder, was Nia having a real dream influenced by her powers at the end of that episode? Or was it actually just a stress nightmare? <laughs> 
it was very well done in the sense that like it felt like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, thank God, we're awake. <laughs> it was very sudden and I don't know, it was just a nicely done moment in terms of the drama of it and getting the audience to feel what Nia ended up feeling. Yeah, well, and the reason that I kind of questioned whether or not it was like a real prophetic dream as opposed to just Nia having a nightmare was that you also had within this episode, Kelly and James trying to differentiate the line between James really experiencing power hours versus experiencing a hallucination as a symptom of PTSD. Mm. And so trying to figure out what's actually one thing versus the other. So sort of vaguely connected to this concept of the truth Mm -hmm. and even the gaslighting concept where trying to figure out what's real and (laughs) what may be something related to your own head. Yep, that is an excellent point. Mm. So that is the end of our episode on crime and punishment. We will be back next week to discuss American Dreamer, which was directed by David Harewood. And is the reason that we haven't seen or heard from Space Dad in the last episode or so. Yes. So that should be interesting and cool to see. I'm excited to see it because the teaser for this one, again, like a couple other episodes earlier in the season, is what I suspect will be deceptively lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. Because the promo stills from some of the other scenes in the episode certainly seem a little bit more drastic in terms of what's happening mm-hmm. between some of the characters than what we saw of Nia kind of stepping into the spotlight as the resident superhero while Supergirl is laying low and Guardians maybe a little gun shy, mm. pun intended. <laughs> I wonder if it might be one of those episodes that's an attempt at balancing lightheartedness and the drama and trying to break up some of the other drama that's going on and we'll see how effective it is (laughs) because there's so much yeah well i'm also interested in seeing how the balance is going to be between being very character driven versus having a lot of action and stuff especially for david coming in as like a new director but someone who's also used to the routine on the acting side so yeah it should be fun (laughs) regardless of anything else (laughs) indeed So we're looking forward to that. And also, we are officially done transitioning our files over to our new host, which means you can now subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. We are officially up on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and pretty much any other podcasting app that relies on iTunes to find you. So feel free to go and subscribe to our show. And if possible, please leave us ratings and or reviews because that helps us be more searchable on iTunes. And then you can bug all your friends to come listen to us, too. And you can always contact us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SupergirlsAttic and at SupergirlsAttic.com. We love hearing from you guys. And thanks for listening. 